Welcome to For Art's Sake, a podcast of conversations with up-and-coming creative workers in the arts and entertainment industries. I'm your host, John Gruber. Today we're talking to Rachel Anderson, a hair and makeup artist, and Bailey Dahlgren, a development executive. So, let's dive in. For For our sake! sake. (laughs) Okay, so first, could you um, just tell everyone who you are, um, what you do, and then how long you've been doing that for? So whoever wants to go first. Okay. Um, I am Bailey Dahlgren, and I am an executive assistant uh, for an actor and producer slash executive at a production company. What what else? I don't know. (laughs) What about you? Oh, was there more? Okay. Oh, oh well, yeah. Oh, oh, actually, how long have you been doing that for, Bailey? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, um, uh, literally like three years um this month so cool what about you Rachel um I'm Rachel Anderson and I am a hair and makeup artist um and I work on film tv photo shoots anything you can think of um and I've been doing that for about six years now yeah six years yeah Mm -hmm. so we'll start with you Rachel with this next part but what for you does an average day like in this industry look like that's the funny part is there isn't really an average day. Every day is slightly different. Every day has different needs and challenges. Like a day on a film is very different than a day on like a photo shoot. So like a day on a film is um, going over the script and figuring out what we're shooting that day and making sure we haven't established anything and a lot of prep work in um, like, okay, I know this is happening today. So I need to make sure I have this, this, and this, like a special effect having this with me, or, you know, today's just an easy day. So just having these six actors bags so that they're ready to go and look the same as they did yesterday um, and things like that. But then like on a photo shoot, it's just, do I have everything? Do I have every single thing that I could possibly need if anything were to go wrong or if like out of left field, they're like, great, we know we're doing a skincare ad, but we want glitter okay, do I have glitter? (laughs) So (laughs) being prepared, I guess, always being prepared is an average day. It's just like lots of prep and then like really fast doing the actual job. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like, like you said, just a lot of extra kind of side work in order to even do your normal job. Yes. Yes. I have a whole closet over here of stuff that's just like I used it one time on a job. And so I make sure to stock up on it because then I brought it to the next job and everyone's like, no, I never thought to bring that. So I have a whole bunch of it. Like I have my own little small kit of um, my emergency kit. So I have like um, wardrobe stuff. I have first aid. I have, uh, what else do I have in there? I have like dental, I have cleaning. I have like personal hygiene. I have cleaning stations. Like I gotta be my own little CVS, (laughs) little convenience store (laughs) to like, take care of everything I have to do wow so it's that's a lot of prep work (laughs) it's such a true thing though because anytime I'm on set I feel like if I'm missing something I'll go to a makeup artist first because they always have everything (laughs) yes 
Yes, it's always us. It's always so yeah. like load in looks hilarious because we've got not only our kit, the thing we actually need, but then like 12 bags on top of that and our lunch and a water bottle. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, the makeup artist really is kind of like the mama or like the dad mm-hmm. on the set, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I take that job very seriously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as you should, for sure. <laughs> Um, what about you, Bailey? I'm I'm sure it's very it's varied, but like, what would maybe an average day in your world look like? I mean, I I totally agree with Rachel. Like in this industry in general, like what is a normal day? But um, I would say the standard things that I'm doing are scheduling and emails. Like that's if I first thing I do when I wake up is check my phone for any incoming emails that are urgent, like of the day of the hour, um, or any texts from my boss, just because I say this very graciously and leniently, like I I'm 24 seven, but not actually, it's just more like my responsibility responsibility is to anything that could come in. So that's uh, the first thing I look at in the morning. And the last thing I look at when I go to bed Um, and then the variables are just where we might be for the season, for the month. Um, You know, if they're doing photo shoots or if the, the, if it's more of a easy month, there's no filming involved, then I'm taking on more responsibility within the company. So that's a lot of like script reading and meetings and, um, notes uh going out on the offense looking for projects stuff like that so uh it it changes all the time but I mean that's part of the reason like it's so enjoyable because you don't feel like you're you're stuck in one motion at all times so yeah I would agree that something that I actually love about these like these industries is that it is so varied and that even if like you're doing the same quote unquote thing, you know, it's like make like Rachel like is doing makeup, but the production is going to be different or like, yeah, you're, you, there is this space of like a lot of problem solving, which I think draws a certain type of person actually to these jobs. Hmm. I mean, um, definitely like just, I feel like, the first year of my job specifically, like I hate phone calls and I hate confrontation. And I feel like those are two things I, in this specific specific position, you are constantly trying to make sure that there is a solution to whatever problem is coming in front of you. And so <laughs> the, the craziest stuff could happen and it's a matter of like not getting frazzled and just like handling it. Therefore now three years in, I can be like, oh, I would... I would randomly know the best bike shop to go to, or I would randomly know which restaurant in Sherman Oaks is best for a random lunch reservation, like stuff like that. Mm. Things you don't need, but because of, because of the experience, I I do think that like, it's a growing portfolio in my head of, you know, knowledge and (laughs) some of that stuff. And, 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 and a belief in yourself that the next problem you'll know the answer to because mm-hmm. you've had to figure it out all the times before. Yes, yeah, 1,000%. Totally. But let's like take a, a few steps back because both of you are based in Los Angeles. 
And what, excuse me, what was the original dream? Like what led you to LA in the first place? Rachel, you go. Okay. Um, I don't know exactly what was the like ULA, but I know in like some soul searching and some thinking about it as I've wanted to live in LA since I was seven years old. Where as a seven year old I got that idea? I have no idea, but um, <laughs> um, I wanted to live here and I wanted to work here, but I didn't know in what capacity. I knew that movies were made here. I knew that like important things happened here in LA. And then like my family, we always sat and watched movies. So we were sitting and watching all these movies and I was like, movies would be so much fun to make. And then we'd watch the behind the scenes and all that. And then, um, and then it like turned into this, like, okay, now I actually have to do something with my life. I'm always doing my hair and makeup. Let me do cosmetology school. And in my cosmetology interview, I was like, I want to move to LA and I want to do hair for red carpets and I want to do hair for movies and things like that. And like, I don't know exactly either when it clicked that like, oh, people get paid to do hair and makeup for movies. Okay, cool. Like, I, let's find a way to do that. But, um, and then it just like, after that, kind of slowly like fell into place of I did hair for a while and then I went to makeup school and then I was like I think I think it's time like I just felt this like move inside of me that was like I think it's time I don't know what I'm gonna do but I think it's time so I think that answered your question (laughs) yeah absolutely thank you um I I, I didn't think like LA was never the spot I wanted New York so I definitely wanted you know entertainment industry but I was dead set on theater um and so I came to well I graduated with pre-med um degree in college and then started studying for my MCATs and then I was like you know what, this is going to be a waste of time and money because I know ultimately what I want to do. You, you, If you are very honest with yourself, you know what you want to do, um, I think, usually. And so then I was like, okay, how do I take a step forward? Even if it's not like, you know, the perfect lane, how do I make that step forward? And that was go to LA. I knew, you know, some people out here. And then it was just a matter of, figure out the step after that once I got there and then it's kind of settled in to be a place that I definitely love I still want you know New York but LA has become a really sweet spot for me as a creative to be with other creatives before you get totally vacuumed up by New York and that hardcore cold weathered dirty grungy great place so LA is giving me like a time to really grow in in the space that LA gives um to find what my ultimate like dreams were it's also a very long answer I apologize no no <laughs> ne- never apologize I love it um I think that's very true like that there is something so special about the way in which creativity is so celebrated in Los Angeles. And like you said, if you find a really good group of people, like, I feel like, I mean, you can almost do anything. Um, Mm -hmm. 
it, at least is the kind of when you are first coming into LA, I think people come with like this glimmer in their eye, which is interesting. Yeah. And it actually kind of leads to my next question, which is, has your perspective at all changed from before you came to Los Angeles to now that you've each been there for a while? Um, and, and then why do you think it has changed if it has or hasn't? It totally has 1000%. Um, like, I didn't come with this expectation of like, I'm going to be there for six months and then someone's going to give me a rich and famous contract. And I'm going to, you know, I knew that wasn't a thing. I absolutely knew and I knew it was going to be hard, but like, like having the like idea that it's going to be hard is very different than I am living in it. And it is so hard and it is so like draining and taxing and, <laughs> really selling LA here but like <laughs> <laughs> but like when I first moved here I knew it was gonna be difficult it was the very first time I'd moved out of house anyways and so that comes along with it challenges and then moving to LA alone has its challenges so putting those together was a whole different experience um and being completely green and not knowing anybody totally added to that but it like there was definitely a moment of oh my God, this is a lot. And this is a lot more than anyone could have prepared me for or I could have anticipated. Um, and I like, I like I did almost quit like two or three times. I almost was like, I don't care. I'll sell everything. I just want to go home. Like I, LA is too much. It wasn't the work. It wasn't the people. It was LA. Because it can be a very cold city. It can be a very like yes, creativity is celebrated, but once that's celebrated, there's a huge expectation. And if you don't meet that expectation, you are a horrible person. You are not, you're not an artist. You're a fraud. You're as, you know, whatever. So I wanted to quit a few times, but like, first of all, people told me I couldn't. They're like, you can't, you have to stay. Like there's something special. You have to stay. And I didn't see it. And I didn't see it. And then I started to fall in love with LA and it felt like it took this like work of a hard relationship of almost like the enemies to lovers trope of like, <laughs> I hate you. I don't want anything to do with you. And then one day you turn and look at them and it looks different. It feels different. You realize there are roots there. You realize like, okay, practically if I were to leave, I don't care if I have to walk, I don't care if to whatever, but wait, then I don't get to see this person every day. Then I don't get to go to my favorite coffee shop. I don't get to have Georgia's, you know, whenever I want. I don't get to like, like what if I leave tomorrow? And that's when someone calls me and it's like, Rachel, we saw your work. We'd love to have you. Like, so it just like, all of a sudden you look at it and everything is different. And now I can't imagine being anywhere else. And I'm like, I go home for Christmas or I go home for whatever. And I'm like, I love y'all, but can I go back to LA? I like, I don't want to be here in Minnesota anymore. I want to go back. <laughs> but it definitely, yeah. yeah, there's definitely a journey for every single person who moves here. Definitely. I think, I think I felt it in two, two, two unexpected ways. One, I didn't expect to fall in love with it or feel this desire to constantly be there. Um, it gets harder to leave for work because it just, you know, like we've already said, there's when once you get that community and those roots down, you know, 
you're saying goodbye to anything you love because there's people there that you love or memories there that you have that you love, things like that. But I, it definitely hit me in the fact that there hasn't been one time that I've been like, oh, I want to move out of LA. Like that is a shock to me because I just never expected to be attached to it in the way that I am. Um, whereas, you know, people I've lived with, they've questioned whether they want to stay and stuff. And I'm like, I don't care. I could, I've questioned the industry more than I've questioned the city and have thought about (laughs) maybe I don't need to be in the industry, but I would easily go work at Trader Joe's and be completely content because like one, we love Trader Joe's. (laughs) (laughs) They want to sponsor, you know who to call. (laughs) (laughs) We love it. They treat their people right. Um, But two, like, yeah, LA would be the place. The thing that I think is a bit of a, a hard pill to swallow was specifically speaking about LA in, in the Hollywood world is it a lot of the, the, the fantasy or the mystical or the, the, the world that we didn't have access to, at least for me in Midwestern, like in Indiana um, or Minnesota, Ohio, whatever, <laughs> like, you know, I think about the red carpet or like, um, the Oscars or things like that and being like, Oh my gosh, it's like 2000 miles away. I've never. And now when you're that close to it, when you're on set, when you are with your intermingling with the people that you then go home and watch on your screens, it takes away a little bit of the, like um, the dreaminess of it. And, and you realize that this is just a, this is a moneymaker. It's a business model. It's a wheel that you are a cog in. And sometimes that can be a little bit, um, a little bit of a real I don't know what the word would be just real reality check in front of you like if you sign up for this world and specifically the Los Angeles world it some of it can become very um consumery and not arty <laughs> if there was a way to else to say that I would but that is how it feels so those two things, but I still, Los Angeles itself has become like my pal in a way that I would have not ever anticipated. So I love it. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting that you say like being consumery versus arty, because that is kind of like this big vision idea of what this podcast is trying to look into, which is like the idea of we call it art for art's sake. So people who are passionate about bringing beautiful things into the world. And then at one point, no matter what, you're going to hit this line where, like you said, consumerism comes into the picture. And so it's this interesting question of like, what do we do when something that we care so much about and that Um, can really do a lot of good for the world what do we do when that in many ways like rightfully needs to like make quote-unquote money for for people and for things it's like it's a like what happens when we cross that line I think a lot of Mm -hmm. things happen honestly I feel grateful to have a lot of time in in the place I'm at in the place of my career that I'm at because um I I really get to watch like my elders in a way and but also I just get 
a really close look into if you weren't prepared for crossing that threshold, um, then when you cross, you may not be sturdy in the foundation of certain things you have expectations for yourself with, like in, in the idea of like grasping onto constantly art comes first, which I don't think is an easy thing ever to, to, you know, wave the flag on. Like it is so hard and it's so hard in, in my position. So I can't imagine it in positions where you're the people making like a lot of money or making a lot of decisions or having a lot of followers or um, a lot of power and the art slowly like it gets smaller because all these other things become a lot bigger and a lot more hard to manage anyways Um, but we can't lie to ourselves and say it's not kind of circling this like this consistent thing which is art and creativity so I feel like the more people who walk are walking into this industry industry can consider that that will there will come a time where that becomes maybe not as important or it can be really stretched in a different way or kind of be taken out of your hands the more we pay attention to that and and do our best to train ourselves that like art is still what we came in here to like pay attention to then hopefully we could (laughs) have some of those muscles like strengthened enough to do it the sound I'm sounding so like metaphorical or something I I just I mean that like it there's no answers but there is that line that you're like that you're saying there is that line and if you cross over and you don't know how to hold on to the art you're not going to hold on to the art and you will fully have a successful career because once you cross the line the art is further and further away and it's it's literally money and <laughs> nothing wrong with that mm-hmm. but i personally am grateful to know without a doubt that i would hope to cross the line like dragging art with me like with all of my mind that i can it is really interesting when you do combine the multi-billion dollar industry of film and television and storytelling with the art of the story and the art of like it takes a village to make a movie and it's just like I feel like every film I've ever walked on to it's always pitched in the with the art head first so like it's a story about you know person A and person B fighting and then they fall in love and then they're gonna have an artsy sequence and we're and it's gonna be great and it's all about the art and it's all about the story and then even day one in the like, thank you all for being here meeting. It's the like, we're going to make great art. We're going to do a great thing. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be like everyone has put in their time and, you know, everyone like we're all here to create art. And then at a certain point, it like, I don't know, we just need to finish it. I don't care. I don't care what it looks like. I just want to finish it. I, you know, I don't like, I, I've been told so many times of like, oh, I need to fix this because in the last shot, it was like this and it was like that. Well, I don't care. I just want to finish it. Okay, so you're taking my art out of it so that you can eventually put out a bottom dollar. Okay, uh, great. So I have been on plenty of projects where 
we have started and everyone is like, I want everyone to have the time to really execute what they're going to do and really just like, I want to cultivate everyone's art and I want to show everyone's art off. And you're like, great, this is fantastic. And then you get to the end and because of one reason or another, like you can't, like it doesn't work that way. It doesn't like, Mm. it comes down to, well, we have to meet our deadline. We have to meet our bottom line. We have to meet, well, you know, I know I told you we were going to do this, but like, we don't have the money for it anymore. So your whole big cool gag is gone. And you're like, okay. And at that point, like I have told myself, you're here because you love what you do. And like, they're here because they're making money. And it's nice to make money at what you love to do, but like, like I've had to tell myself, you are, you care a little more th- about the art than they do. And that's just how it is. And so my part is always about the art. Not always, nine times out of 10, it's about the art. We'll call it nine times out of 10. <laughs> and like everyone else is worried about the consumerism part. So it's, it's definitely th- interesting. I think like what we've seen this year with the IATSE stuff is just proofs of like, very very naive thing to say probably if if you know the higher-ups were listening but um if it's about the art it's also about the creators of the art and the creators from the top to the bottom are fully like in every single aspect of movie making or theater or uh like literal like visual arts like all of it the creators, the, the the builders of the sets, the makeup artists, the people composing the music, the editor, like the crew, the cast, the financiers, distributors, production company, it all matters. The audience matters. Um, and some of that, I think, has really started to fizzle out and not be recognized. And we're, we're seeing it with the 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 loudness of the IATSE crews saying like, I care about this, just like you're saying you care about this, but I don't get like safety (laughs) to like keep caring about this the next day. Like I don't get to drive home with adequate amount of hours of sleep or, you know, literally the list is endless. And I, I think from a faith standpoint, um, I think of us as beings being created and like if we pay attention to how big this creator is who what whoever and whatever listener is listening to this and what they believe if there's a creator of some sort that has made this world possible they matter so the same is like with all every story we're watching um whether it's on film tv or some other medium the creators involved all matter and i just I, I really wish that there was more acknowledgement of all the creators happening on each project because they're getting destroyed to make the art in a really great way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Um, you know, it, I love it. It's like we're talking about ideas of this line that in many ways is invisible, but it looks like there are clearly people kind of on one side or other side of the line. And then kind of like Bailey talked about a little bit ago, like wanting to bring art across this line. Um, And then also just like this, these like different 
people kind of like pieces of power kind of coming against each other, all trying to create these like beautiful normally pieces of artwork. Um, but it's just like a very messy space. So I'm really excited. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back in a second, but I'm super excited to kind of look more into another idea of like a line that there is in Hollywood and then how um, we as creators are um, situated in that line. So we'll be back in one second. You've been listening to For Art's Sake. This is where we would normally feature sponsors of the podcast, but we don't have any sponsors. So if you're a sponsor, hit me up. Now, let's get back. Okay, welcome back, everybody. So we were just talking about these different kind of lines that we see in ways, especially in the entertainment industry. So we talked about this one of like a line of art that like once you're doing art for art's sake, but then you cross over into this line of, well, art has to make money. I feel like something that is actually super connected and tied to that line is another line that is actually like a very industry, old, old industry line, which is this idea of, are you above the line or below the line? Mm. Um, Do you guys know that term? And like, what does that mean to you? Like just off the top of your head. Yeah. Yeah. That term, uh, I learned very quickly. Uh, there was mention of it in the film world in Minnesota, but, uh, Minnesota film world is mostly like student films. So it's a, like, it's there, but nobody pays attention to it. We're all friends. But then moving here, I didn't do anything to like violate that line, but like I was taught very quickly that there is a separation. Um, so like makeup falls below the line. And like my understanding of the line is everything above the line is everyone who has anything to do with the money and where the money goes. And then everyone below the line is who gets the money. (laughs) That's like, like, like even department heads within that are still below the line, but like, yeah, that's my understanding. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a good way of looking at it. What about you, Bailey? Like, what does that mean to you? I mean, I know of it. I know the existence of it. I think I had a kind of peculiar entry in because I entered in with someone who a lot of times would be considered above the line or the most fragile onset. Um, and so although I would consider myself below the line, I walked alongside someone constantly above the line. So confusing, (laughs) very confusing, but also very enlightening because you see very quickly the difference of ways people treat you with someone who's above the line and when you're alone, not above the line. Well, I mean, so Rachel brought up one part of the line, which is that, it kind of is about who gets to do what with the money. But I would say even before that, it's who has like the creative power in a production. So like Mm -hmm. very traditional people that we'll see above the line um, are going to be like your, 
your writer, your director, your producer, and then like your top talent that are going to be in productions. And so like in Hollywood, I mean, it is like the history of it is kind of interesting. Like in the accounting, there literally was an actual line. And it was that all of these people that were above the line, like we said, um, they do have the creative power, but they kind of were given um, fixed, normally very hefty payments to join the production. And then everything below the line is people who are going to be paid like hourly or whatever. And obviously they're getting a lot less. So there is this interesting like money meets power kind of connection with the line. Um, Like connected to that, Bailey, you kind of hit on it just briefly, but when it comes to what each of you do in this industry, how much what we call like agency or quote unquote power do you guys feel like you have when you're working on projects? I would say that I, I get more than would be normal. So I I don't know that I have like a total fair answer. Um, No, it's a, it's a true answer though. You know? Yeah. I, I, because, because I'm for a specific person and have been the entire time, there's a certain amount of like relationship that's involved. And then also, um just consistency which means suddenly there's certain things that like I will now have experience with and be able to start to gain some autonomy in um whereas I know other people who are doing the same type of work the same title but for various people or if it's specifically on set and they're just switching between people per project nothing like first in last to leave treated like dirt and the same for like I know of assistants like on agents desks who are it's verbally abusive and disgusting and PR assistants things like that like no matter what the 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 term would mean bottom of the barrel um and so for if there's one part of you that thinks like you're gonna have power like you are mistaken and you need uh, the, everyone would tell you who's worked up the chain would say bite it and stay quiet and then you'll get to that moment where you have power just like everyone else has you just have to put in the work which I get but I don't I don't think it would have to be that way if things had been done differently or if more enough people said this is not how it's going to be but that's really hard to go against (laughs) the power which is Hollywood Mm -hmm. yeah what about you Rachel um so even within just like the makeup department in general there's its its own hierarchy so you've got your department head your key your makeup artist and assistant and I have been all four of those positions and within those four positions the power changes so it's really interesting to be an assistant who, like Bailey just said, is like bottom of the barrel. You tell anyone you're an assistant, oh, okay, she's like in your each department. Okay, she's this. She's only here to wash brushes. She's only here to get coffee, whatever it is. Um, like regular, just makeup artist title, you're just a, a hand. You're just a cog in the wheel. Like you don't get any creative freedom. You get treated usually better than the assistant, but have no creative power or no no power anywhere. Key, you have the power of overseeing your makeup artists and your assistants. So 
like if the department head has to be in a department meeting, but they still need to be getting ready, he automatically assumes like the managerial position. Um, but if they're together, then they're like, they're like, I have been used and use my keys as bouncing boards of, okay, they've just brought me this problem. Like, how would you do this? And like, so going to my key before any of my artists and then being the department head, you have power over the whole department. And usually at least on projects I work on department head is also a designer. So you have full creative control, full creative freedom within the director's parameter. So then there's that power. So it's like, it's, it's a shift within that. And then being a department head, you kind of have power, but like, really only over your product only your piece of it but like I've been on productions where I have like because there's just been poor planning and poor like other department heads aren't talking to each other I've had to come in and be like if you want your movie to work we need to do it this way with makeup if you want this makeup gig to happen so I have changed the entire schedule so my power goes up just a little bit but like, that's not every project that's always on independence. I imagine mm-hmm. it's not at all like that in a larger production. So it's like, it's a constant, it's a constant change, no matter what role you're in. Cause then even as an assistant, I've been on where I started as the makeup assistant. And then one thing led to another. And all of a sudden I'm the key artist because so-and-so left or because I did it long enough or whatever. So it's like, there has to be this like social awareness of what's going on around you and then gauging the power that is then granted to you through that. So it's. I'd also say you, (laughs) you saying like you saw what your specific role required the whole schedule to change for and speaking up on it. I don't think 1000% of the time it's going to work, but I do think 1000% 1000% of the time it won't work for all of us who tell ourselves we we don't have a voice we shouldn't speak up because that's not our place and it's like if it is about the art then technically it should be if we all want if all of us are here for the same thing then obviously again certain awarenesses but you speaking up i think is a total example of getting more power naturally because you had to take that step and I think there's a big factor involved of convincing people to stay in your lane and it's like occasionally like the people who don't stay in their lane are actually probably gonna um bring some building blocks that like wouldn't have existed without like jumping out a little bit yeah and doing it for the art of course totally because I yeah. have gone to ADs or whoever's making this schedule and been like, this isn't going to work or you're going to be waiting on me. And they're like, well, that's fine. We're not going to change it. You just have to deal with it. And then it ends up being a whole thing. And so like, it hasn't worked. So I'm not saying every time I go and say, you have to change the schedule, they change the schedule. But yeah, saying, speaking up and saying it and jumping your lane is really so perfectly put it, like <laughs> has its time and place and has its like, because I've also been on things where I, I had this assistant one time who sweetest girl in the world, like had the greatest intentions was a fabulous makeup artist. I had explained to her, we were doing this gag where we had to, the ending scene of this whole film is um, blood running down the crack of a sidewalk. And I had like 
I had known about this this whole time, had run it through, figured it out. And it came down to, I was going to take a ketchup bottle and just squeeze it out <laughs> and use the power of the blood to just push it down. And we could like move the, you know, and it would, and it was going to work exactly for what they wanted. And so then we come to day of and day of, they tried to change it. They tried to, they wanted the same effect, but they wanted it to instead like come from her as opposed to just this, like you connect it on your own. And I was like, well, first of all, we didn't plan for that. So that's not going to happen. And they're like, okay, it's fine. Just pour it from like, I don't even remember. She's like laying a certain way. So they're like, pour it from here. So it comes out of her ear up over her arm and then down. And I was like, what? <laughs> they're like, we want to make it. And so I went over to my assistant and I'm like, that's not biologically possible. I was also teaching her. So I was talking through my thinking. So I was like, okay, you have to know that that is not biologically, physically, gravitationally. Like there's so many like laws of physics being broken here that like that doesn't work. So we have to, we have to say, we have to tell them, like, we can't just say, no, we have to tell them it's because it physically doesn't work that way. And you'll lose your believability. So we get to it and I wanted her there. So for quick and easy cleanup. And so we got to the scene, we're ready to go. And they're like, okay, do the blood out of her ear and over her arm. And I start to like, okay well actually and she goes that's not biologically possible and takes the words out of my mouth and is yelling at the director and I had to like no stop that is not possible we planned for this here's how we're going to do it we can try it this way like I had to whatever but I had to like stop no <laughs> so then we yeah. came out of that and I was like I love you and I so appreciate what you were just trying to do but you don't get to do that. That is not a time where you get to jump the lane. That is not a time mm. where you get to speak up and say something, you know, like I told you those things. So, you know, my thinking. So when you are by yourself, you understand what I'm doing, but that was not your place, you know? And so we had a heart to heart lane and it was totally fine. She's like, I'm sorry. I'm just so excited. I was like, that is totally fine. Be excited. Be whatever. But <laughs> know when you're allowed to jump your lane, no, mm -hmm. like read the room. Yeah, and she'd never done it since. She's better for it, and it was great. That ended up working out fine. But I was just like, girl. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's so interesting to hear about that there are almost these unwritten rules about what you're saying. You're calling it jumping the lane, but when you can like reach up for what we're calling like more power in a production, and there's times that you being what like we said earlier, like below the line, you can actually do that. I think a lot of it is your expertise, your experience. Um, but then people like your assistant, it's like, absolutely not. Like that's not going to fly. And it's so interesting to see that a lot of it is unspoken um, mm -hmm. about when would, we can make those changes. I would say also there's someone I was talking to. I'm not going to use his name, but yeah. he, he, a huge director for a huge film. And he was, he was saying how he still felt like a fraud walking into a Q and a. Mm. Um, so that actually was really helpful to be like, Oh, we're all going to feel this no matter what. So we might as well at any level we're on decide that we aren't we've put in the prep work or we are putting in the prep work and we're here for a reason. And um, it, we are welcome here. Like no one is, I, for the longest time, because my path in went really smoothly and like not the way it should have gone. 
I just constantly felt like guilty and like, I should be sorry. I'm in every room that I'm in. And it's like, well, then I'm wasting the opportunity. And if I know that someone who's been making movies for 25 years has just made a huge box office success and is still walking in feeling like, should I be in, do I, do I belong in this room? It's like, we have to like grow out of that. And I think that's come as an ingrained thought because the industry is built around stay in your lane and don't speak up. And also um, Mm -hmm. you, you don't have power until someone tells you you have power. And it's like, well, no one's actually going to tell you you have power. Um, So yeah, it, it, it just reminded me that like, not to like lie to myself. There's, I think the, the fear of feeling like a fraud is huge for artists in general, but like to know that and then, and say, okay, well, what am I going to do today in this room that I have gotten into to Mm -hmm. say I belong here and, and not keep sitting on that thought for the next 25, 30, 75 years of creative making because then i'm just i'm 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 adding more lies that are not helpful to the grand scheme of the project or the art that's like so powerful you like i feel like that's a life lesson too you know Mm -hmm. like you said that like imposter syndrome because i think in so many things you know for whatever reason like in this case I think a lot of it does have to do with what you said, this ingrained idea that Hollywood makes people follow this, these steps and quote unquote, stay in their lane. But um, yeah, it's so interesting. Like you said, even like a super influential director. Yeah. Wow. I feel like a fraud. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hollywood is notorious for like not throwing you a bone until you have made a place for yourself but you've had to fight so hard to make that place for yourself that when you finally get there, it does feel like, did I make the right, like, am I here mm-hmm. on the right? Like, did I take the right steps to get here? Yeah. Or did I squash someone or did I, you know, whatever, but there's, yes. So like when you start as nothing and are treated like nothing because treatment is horrible and like the Ayati thing, like anywhere from the smallest person is treated horribly, but then you start making them a lot of money or you are the person with the money or you have fought tooth and nail to get to where you are. Nobody cares. Nobody gives you respect. You haven't proven yourself to them. So like, mm-hmm. it's really hard to not walk into a room and be like, did I do that? Like, am I actually supposed to be here? Yeah. Like, is this, this, mm-mm this is a switch situation. <laughs> there's somebody outside who looks just like me that they're looking yeah. for. Like, there's a parent trap moment. <laughs> what, what do you think it is that um, has people that I'm going to use a phrase you said, Rachel, that are at the bottom of the barrel of wherever they're at. Why do you think those people choose to continue on in this industry when there are some really hard things about it like what is that that has people keep going I think it's the art I think at that point you're doing art for art's sake you are um speaking from experience having done an entire short film in a weekend for $50 total 
that didn't get me anything. That didn't pay for gas to get to all these crazy locations. That didn't pay for my kit. That didn't pay for anything. But I needed the work. I needed to make that connection. I needed to be doing something with my time. I needed to be validating why I picked up my entire life and moved to Los Angeles. Um, so it's at that point, it's, it's a, it's a validation of what I'm doing is doing something. <laughs> but then like, I don't, I really, yes, very rarely you'll get someone who like, my uncle works for the studio and got me this random job. So I'm able to be here and I don't really care, but I got a job, but um, really very few people come into this industry without the dream of being Martin Scorsese or being Angelina Jolie or being that, you know, big person, but like, and knowing that it takes the work to get there. So it's kind of a, like, you have to tell, it's the things you tell yourself of, this is what I'm going to say on James Gordon's couch. This is, this is <laughs> going to go, this is a chapter in my memoir. This is, this is going to be able this is this is the receipt I'm going to be able to so, show someone and say I did this job for fifty dollars for the entire weekend. I did this job for a hundred dollars for the entire weekend. Like I have done the work. I'm showing you my work. I'm showing you my thinking. So it's it's creating a leg to stand on, if you will, for art's sake. Wow, good. Inclusion of that. <laughs> we, we, I can we might top that. We might use that for the new intro. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Just like so, like for art's sake. Um uh dang. How can I? Um I think that yes, it's the art, but also like anyone who's crazy enough to start it isn't a foolproof statement but um I feel like we're all dreamers we all want to believe in the the beauty of the story or the picture or something and so we're crazy enough to go through it and also to be honest like it's hard and when you're in it it's like regrettable and a little like anxiety inducing and like I should walk out of this every day but I have worked in other things that suck too like working at a gas station was not enjoyable I wanted to walk out of that every day when piss fell on me um from a trash can of a trucker um (laughs) (laughs) things like that but I'm just point being like it's gonna be hard no matter what like life in general is hard and I, I think if you love it enough, then, and, and you're aware of what it's going to take, then no matter what, you're going to do it, especially if you get to every once in a while, see those kinds of projects that remind you why you like it. Like, I just watched King Richard, and that reminds me of why we do it. Or I just went to the theater today and saw Moulin Rouge and seeing the dancers and like, the costumes and the sets and you're like ah this is why we do it like those two hours there is why you do it so it but it requires a lot of convincing in the moment in your head (laughs) to keep going because of how much you're having to dig and just work with no guarantee that it ever will matter and we all want to matter 
we all want to mm-hmm. feel like we're we have worth um and this is a place that sometimes worth is only put on a few heads when there's billions not billions but a lot of people making the worthwhile stuff so um for art's sake <laughs> yes um, oh. <laughs> um so <laughs> um what so we're talking about um like doing it for the passion and the joy and the excitement of helping um, really cool projects come to life. Like, do you think that people that are so passionate about something um, in this industry can become exploited because of that passion? Yeah. And then. And then my, my follow-up question, I guess, would be um, what are either your own or people that you know of experiences of things that you've heard? And I guess we can, we've been talking a lot about IATSE and I did want to bring that up as well, but kind of in, in all those spaces, like what are th- things that have led people to become exploited? It's hard because in the moment you don't, speaking from personal experience, you don't really know you're being exploited until it's kind of like you're in the middle of it. Um, I did a film recently and they flew us all out to Florida and we were there for three weeks, two and a half, three weeks, something like that. And I just, I was hired to be the makeup person and I was the only makeup person, which I made that decision because other decisions were made and it was going to be fine. And I was like, I can make this work. and be great. But once we got there, the conditions they were putting us in were un- unsafe, unlivable. Um, we were driving on very little sleep. We were, we were a walking like IOTC case at this point, but all non-union. So we can't really use any of it for it. But um like meals were horrible, locations were horrible, conditions were horrible. Like it just was this whole thing. But I, for art's sake, not to be cheesy, but for art's sake, <laughs> wanted to see it through to the point of I gave them ideas for how to finish this movie, how to direct this movie. I ended up directing the last three scenes because nobody else had it in them and somehow there's this little person sort of me running the damn wheel going you can do it and so I did but it it like I I'm, and I was like this would be great I don't even like it's fine I I just want to finish this movie I just want to make it let's do it let's do it let's do it I called in favors I said I would do this I said I would do that stayed up late was doing all the driving doing all the things directing the damn thing, telling where, telling camera how to do their job, telling blah, 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 blah. And then it was all over and I stepped away for a second to take a breath and nobody said a word. I wasn't thanked. I wasn't acknowledged. I wasn't, not even for the job I had been hired to do. I wasn't even mentioned. Not to throw that in there, but I was also the only woman on this crew. And like, it just turned into this hole. And I was like, I have just been taken advantage of and been used in a way I did not know I could ever be used. But I didn't know I was there. I didn't know I was being exploited until it was too late. And then I come home and tell everyone this story. And they're like, girl, I would have left. And I was like, I couldn't. 
because I was so invested in the art. Not to mention I was in Florida and didn't know how to get myself home without spending my entire paycheck that I had just made. But I, like, I, I loved the people. I loved the projects. I loved that I was doing my job. I loved that I was somewhere else doing my job. Like I, it, it's just like, it was very much a like, look what you have, but I'm gonna take all of this. <laughs> and it was a lot of, it's, uh, it's, uh. so it's kind of like, now looking at it, I know exactly the moment where I should have gone, nope, it's yours. It's your project. You finish it. I will do what I was hired to do. But like, people will find a way to get you to care about what they care about so that they can benefit. <laughs> like it was just, yeah. So it personally, sometimes it's very easy to tell when you're being exploited because it's just so like, we'll give you $50, but can you build this entire creature that looks like the exact guy from Shape of Water? No, no, that's a multi-million dollar project. Absolutely not, no thank you. <laughs> But it's, it's the little, little exploitations, the little like, well, could you just stay an extra hour? Could you just like run to the store really quick or on your way in, will you just stop and grab that for me? I don't know how to wrap this up into a tiny, perfect little boat, but like, it's, it's the little, it's the little exploitations of like, like when you're told as a kid, like avoid stranger danger, like, okay, don't get in the van with the guy. Okay. I'm not going to get in the van with the guy, but like, can I pet your dog? Your dog is really cute. Like the little, like the sneakier from the side, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm so sorry that happened to you, Rachel. You know, it's like it's wild. And it, yeah. And the spaces that like you said that we don't realize that we're being taken advantage of, which I think is why it's important. Like now we're like talking about it, you know, trying to find a way forward. I think um, the ways that I've seen it, because I think just in general, like what Rachel's saying, like any sort of like, if you're going to talk about films that are, you know, independent projects, low budget, student film, non-union, all these things that is the crux of like what makes people's careers from the very beginning there's so much exploitation and sometimes I want to say it's in the vein of like just a bunch of artists getting together like you sometimes that's how it would feel like on a student film or like a very small small crew it's like you know six of us and the person who was doing set deck suddenly was doing like makeup or things like that that kind of stuff is mm-hmm. it's fun for a second it's like part of the project but when it you can you can sense further on when projects are just using you for the sake of cutting corners um and and it's and it's because they think the small things won't matter but it is the small things that like add up and then the ways I've seen it in like bigger picture is and some of these some of these things are, are people I don't know it's it's just watching from a marketplace point of view when it comes like the talent who are you know you think of like a Scarlett Johansson a huge movie star but you think of Marvel and I'm sure everyone who's 
down here working hard is like, why'd she need the extra money? Why'd she complain about the extra money? But she was taken advantage of and exploited for her name and her face and the film that was like on her back. That's an example to me of a big exploit. And it's luckily she had like the team to be able to fight it. But I I think of things like that were like uh, musicians, writers, actors and then like everyone else i'm saying these just because specifically that's who like i work around but it they will they will sell you the worst agreements possible to get your ideas get your work and get your (laughs) signature these big corporations have ownership over human beings as, as if they will regurgitate creativity when it was all like the, the deal some of these people are put into from the start. It's just like, um, they're not good deals, but when you're just trying to make a name for yourself, you would, you would take it because who's going to, who's going to not like think that's the best thing when you think of like a paycheck that feels really big or can help you pay rent or something and then you're like wow I really just sold sold myself for that and that's exploits too um and they all matter and I think (laughs) I'm not even a fan of Taylor Swift but I think Taylor Swift is an example of someone like taking back ownership over something that she was like put into it was a like a bad deal and and she's successful outside of it she's a businesswoman outside of it so she was able to like re-release and things like that but um it happens all the time and we're built on it and that's what sucks is if it starts at the at the tier in which it's just oh go 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 to the grocery store and grab me this or spend an extra hour here then it becomes mm-hmm. here. Sign this paycheck. Or we'll pay you fifty thousand dollars for that um, draft, and then they own it and franchise it and sell McDonald's toys off of it. And you're like, cool. So when we're thinking about um, like exploitation, like we said, in the industry, what do you guys think is like one step that we can take to start making like a more equitable future for people, for creative workers in this industry? Um, when I'm department heading something, I never ask my assistants to do anything I wouldn't be willing to do myself. Um, so even within, in a department, you know, being able to recognize that, okay, one time this department head asked me to do this and I was super uncomfortable, but I did it because I didn't want to lose my job. I'm never going to ask one of my assistants to do that. Um, so like finding ways, you know, in your community to, to be the change you want to see in the industry and in the world and the, in the production, you know, um, or even in, as a department head, I'll be in meetings. And if someone brings something up and I feel, you know, like it's something very strongly that needs to be said of maybe we shouldn't do it like that. 
I, that is one of my key phrases on the set is we can't say that we can't do that. We can't say something like that. I see what you're trying to say. Can we find a better way to say that? Because the way you're saying that could offend this person or that offended me. Like on that Florida project, they were talking specifically about women's bodies and about the natural things that women go through, like uh, pregnancy scares and periods and things. And they had written the most outlandish, like it was supposed to be perfect example. It was supposed to be, um, she's just supposed to get her period to tell her that she is no longer pregnant, but he wrote it as this massive, like almost a hemorrhage. And I was like, no, no, baby. No, no. Please no. <laughs> I have had that period and thought I was going to die. We are not writing that that like it and it it was supposed to be played off as a very simple like, oh thank God it came. I'm I'm not pregnant. Great. <clears throat> no. <laughs> if you want some shock and awe, put it somewhere else. That is not it. No. And it took him it took me three times telling him to be like, you're gonna lose your audience and you're gonna lose whatever. And this 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 man was a very interesting person and it it came to a head at a point where I had to say I'm like I'm not trying to get writing credit I am not trying to get any sort of notoriety out of this I'm trying to tell you this is not right this is not this isn't it and I was risking everything for that but I would never ask an assistant to like do that I would never like that's something I've had to come to on my own so being able to speak up I think is like if you have that's such a dangerous thing to say because then everyone's just going to like, well, I didn't like the tuna at lunch, you know, like, <laughs> but, <laughs> like finding your moments of no, we can't say that. No, we can't do that. No, I'm not comfortable doing that. Like one time we had to rent a hotel and they tried to put it in my name on my credit card because they couldn't put it on theirs. And I was like, I no. they're like, we'll give you the money right now. I can hand it to you in cash. So I was like, that's not what I'm worried about. I'm not, no, I'm not comfortable with this. So, so speaking up and being like, like kind of, you kind of have to risk it all because what we allow to continue will continue. So what we allow of, so like with this whole IOTI thing, uh, my friends and I got together and we were like, if anyone comes to us with union work, if we do strike, we're all going to say no it's incredible. And as much as we want a union job to get into the union, we're going to say no, because if we say yes, we are going directly against what everything is being fought for. So does that make any sense? Yeah. <laughs> so, mm. so finding your ground and finding your voice, because we're not in a time where we don't get to have a voice anymore as, as anyone. Like it's, you know, there's, again, find your spot, find your lane, find your time and your place. But like, like, and it's hard because it's different every set, but like, see something, say something. Mm. Even if it's just a whisper as an assistant to your department head of like, that doesn't sound right to me. That does like, I overheard something. Is this like, like starting a conversation is just like the best way I think to avoid these issues. <laughs> having families having relationships having weekends having evenings um i i think it's different for set work because you literally don't and that's like how it works i'm saying for me personally um i could consistently be doing work if i wanted that was my first year 
my first, it wasn't until COVID when I was like, Bailey, you're doing something wrong. Um, you can want this till the ends of the earth, but there's, you have to like draw lines for yourself. Not because anyone was pushing the unboundaried life on me. I wanted to be the best and I wanted to advance fast and I wanted to compete with people who we are not on the same level. They have a 25 year career and I've just started like um, I can gauge what I can give. And I can also tell myself I'm gonna be done at 7 p.m. and I'm gonna go hang out (laughs) or I'm gonna work on extra projects as well or things like that I'm gonna do yoga on a Saturday when on a Saturday I could have you know worked on my projects or I could have read an extra script and be a little bit further advanced like doing the daring thing which is to not be all consumed with the 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 deadlines and the money making of it and hoping that if I'm setting those boundaries now during the time when um it's training me for a future career in producing or whatever I end up doing um hopefully that I can continue it I have dear people close to me who them having um a family is wild it was wild for me to see to see a husband and wife and children existing in this world doesn't make sense in my head because I'm just like how could you but they do and then different families who um or different people who also have families will see it and be like ah like yeah another one and I think it's because not that it's easy at all but I think um, saving some parts of your life that are for you that have nothing to do with the film industry is a part of going against the grain and also a part of um, setting yourself up for a success outside of the some of the exploitation. That's all inward stuff. Um, as far as like other people, I do think really respecting other people's boundaries is huge. So for me, as I've gotten higher up, I'm starting to be able to have access to, you know, ask of other people of things. But just because I know that I would have easily done something at 9 p.m. doesn't mean that I should feel it's okay to ask someone else to do it at 9 p.m. Can I myself hold a boundary to be like, I'll wait until 9 a.m. tomorrow to even ask so that they don't have to make the decision of whether they're going to answer the text or the answer the email. Then there's other times where I'm like, I don't give a crap. Like I need this off of my brain. So I'm going to send the email and it's up to them to hold their boundaries, you know, give or take. We're not perfect. Mm-hmm. But I, I think think like things like that, if you start to have positions of authority, are there ways you can um, respect them with, with their time, with how you invest in them, with how you see them as a massive investment into whatever you're doing? Anyone who works with you, for you, under you, alongside you is a part of your future 
art. So they are part of your investment into the art. And I think seeing them as that is huge. Um, yeah. That's so good. I love that because obviously you started with something that, like you said, was in like inside in, an interior decision. But I think that it's true that um, in order to build a life that once, you know, people like us become the people that are heads of departments or um, networks or whatever it is, that, you know, you had to have made that decision a long time ago that you were going to set your own personal boundaries for you if you have a mm -hmm. family for your family and finding like, what are your priorities? And that I think that, like you said, that those self decisions are going to grow into um, things like what Rachel was saying that when you realize you need to speak up about something that you will have already built an interior life that values who you are, that mm -hmm. knows that this is a moment to speak up. So mm -hmm. I, I think that's beautiful. And I think that that um, is maybe a little bit of an unexpected answer, but is a good answer to what is like one step that we can take forward, you know, in this place, hopefully to create a better industry for people who really do love art. The other thing I'll say, and I promise I'll shut up after this is mm -hmm. I think for um, females specifically, I walked into this thinking that it's like a boys club and stuff, but um, I recently watched a documentary called This Changes Everything, by the, mm -hmm. and it was by Gina Davis and the Gina Davis Institute. And Hollywood existed at its primary beginning with females owning production companies, females as directors, females as writers, females as, like, as important people within the project it wasn't until sound which meant studios which meant banks which meant men mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. that women were pushed out and so just as a woman to any anyone i don't know who will listen to this if it's people in your class or not um but i for me that was encouraging to be like oh it's not that we even have to like we have to fight for people to, or we have to fight to gain um, an authority that we've never had before. It's like, no, just fight for like men to like realize like we are just as talented and we've had those placements and um, we were like shoved out of it. And I think, again, it's that statement of like, we do belong here. All of us as artists belong here uh females belong here people of color freaking belong here it is disgusting that any issues we three have is like small minutiae compared to what it takes to get in as a person who's not white and yeah. and and the the latter they have to go and whereas mine my experience might be a year theirs is 20 years because there's such a gatekeeping um, existence. And it's just constantly, I want to say as a creative to other creatives that like, we all belong here. And, and even if you're exploited or even if the, the, the industry has been built around that, do with your instinct 
what makes you proud as a creative and I I think that's easier said than done but I would hope that the more and more people do that um maybe there's a world in which Hollywood like looks different eventually works differently too we hope we do that's why we're here that's what I said yeah I love it Mm -hmm. that's so good well I wanted to thank both of you so much for coming on the show my first ever people on the show so you will go down um in some sort of memory maybe infamy Mm -hmm. infamy we don't know um but just thank (laughs) you both for being here um and for you listeners thanks for joining in the conversation your voice matters we'll see you next time for art's sake is written and produced by john gruwell with music by Zeke Payan. Find the show wherever you get your podcasts.